Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Living new. Why have a series about living new? And I think really the the answers to that are pretty straightforward, pretty simple, why we're going to spend a number of weeks going through the book of 1 Peter to talk about living new. Number one, I'm guessing that for many of you, as we confess our sins, as we did a few moments ago, there are places in your life where you're thinking to yourself, I've just got to change that. I, I cannot keep doing that, falling back into the same sins and wrongs and and hurting my relationship with God and hurting my relationship with the people I love. And and then just this constant relentless cycle of sin and ask for forgiveness and then do the same sin over and over again and ask for forgiveness. Knowing that God is gracious, that's amazing that he's so patient with us and he does forgive, and yet there comes a point where we just get sick and tired of doing the same old things over and over again, making the same old mistakes. So part of it is live new is about you and me and the changes that we want to make in our lives and how's God going to help us do that. But also a large part of live new is about God. Because quite honestly, God wants nothing more than for you to live a life of higher character so that you can have influence. He calls us Christians salt and light in the world. And he wants us to be the saltiest, salty Christians we can be, the lightiest, light Christians we can be. Is that even a word? the brightest lights in the world. Maybe that's better. And so part of this is about God and him in his love wanting, he in his love wanting to change us so that we can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world and have more people get to know him. We want to live new. And I'll tell you, I I love that this is a study of 1 Peter. Because if ever you wanted to talk about a guy who had a completely new life after he was introduced to Jesus Christ, oh my goodness. I love Peter. Uh, when, I, when I think of Peter, let's say as opposed to Paul, I, I think Paul probably watched the History Channel on TV. Brilliant guy, academic, just awesome in his knowledge and his, his ability to share doctrine with us. When I, when I think of Peter, I think he watched the fishing channel. <laughs> he was a guy's guy and, and, and loved being in the out of doors. He, he had a business with James and John. They were partners in a fishing business. And, and so this was a rough and tumble guy. Your kind of guy in mind. And he had a lot of things that he had to work on. Number one, I believe, is that Peter had to deal with his fears. As as we look through the life of Peter, 
We see two things. We see times when his fear completely overwhelmed him and changed his course. Think about, for example, his bold claim that he would never forsake Christ, and yet when Christ was arrested, he denied him three times. His fear just overwhelmed him. Or later, We learn from the Apostle Paul that he wasn't sure how to deal with the Jews and the Gentiles, and that that caused him to back up from the Gentile Christians out of fear of how he might look in that difficult situation, and Paul even had to confront him over that. There were times when Peter's fears overwhelmed him, and there were also times when, and these are times that you may remember even more, where I believe Peter was trying to compensate for his fears. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I think often instead of looking weak, we, we come on stronger. I, I'll tell you, for example, you can probably hear it in my voice, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it more uh, later on today, but I got a cold. Being sealed in a steel tube for over 20 hours will, will do that to you. But I've had colds before, and I've, never, and I've usually not said a thing. I don't want other people to know that I'm sick or that, that I'm human and weak. And so what do I do? I, all the more boldly, I'm like, I'm feeling strong and healthy today, even though inside I'm not. And how much more so when we feel that we have character weaknesses? We try to cover them up. And I think Peter was trying to cover up his, his, his fears, Jesus comes walking on the water in the middle of the night, and what does Peter do? He says, Jesus, let me come out there and walk with you too. Until what happens? Until he gets out there perfectly all right, and he starts to look around, and his fears rise up because he sees the wind and the waves. And his faith dissipates, and the fears rise, and he begins to sink until he grabs hold of the hand of Jesus that's extended to him. What a guy to write this book about living new. One of Jesus' inner circle, really a leader amongst all the disciples. Peter, when Jesus asked, who are people saying that I am? Peter was the one, even though they were saying, well, some say you're a prophet and so forth and so on. Peter was the one. Peter. Who do you say that I am? And and Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the chosen one, the son of the living God. That's this man. And so we're gonna hear a letter from him written to a group of people. And this is all introduction for this entire series, by the way. I hope you're capturing this, not just for today. Part of the reason I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of background on the life of Peter is this is the same guy who wrote the same letter that we'll be talking about next week and the week after and the week after. I want you to keep in mind Peter and his fears and his compensation and also his faith. But I also want you to keep in mind something else. Let's, let's take a look at the, at the first verse here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. When when we're going to study a letter like this, it's important to know who was the author, Peter. 
It's important to know what, what he was made of. But it's also important to understand the people that he was writing to. And you just heard three very important descriptive words about the people to whom Peter's writing. He's, he's writing to a group of Christians in what we would today call Turkey. Back in, in Peter's day, it was called Asia Minor. And they're, they're, they're called God's elect on the one hand, God's chosen. That's what that word elect means. God had chosen them. But they're also called exiles who are scattered. And from that, we know that these are Christians who had been chased from their homes by persecution, likely from the Romans, who were persecuting them specifically because of their Christian faith. And in their persecution, they had been forced into exile. They had been forced into a place that was not home. Now, I want you to picture that in your mind, what that would have been like. To have people hunting you down because of your Christian faith to the point where you say to yourself, I can't keep my family here anymore. These things, by the way, still happen. In preparation for this message, I read a story about a, a lady in Nigeria who was attacked and finally had, had to leave because villages all around were, were under attack. And she barely survived after they hacked at her with machetes. In fact, she did lose the baby that she was carrying. I'm talking about something that's happening now. And those things were also happening back in the days of Peter, and it was, it, was, it was causing people to run to a new place where they could have safety and peace. They were exiles. And when you do that, they didn't have United Moving Vans back in that day. I want you to think about putting as many of your possessions on your back and on the backs of your children as you can because you're gonna walk to that next place. And if you're privileged, you might have a donkey or two that you could load up. Possibly, if you're really wealthy, you have a cart that you can pile some of your possessions into, but you're gonna leave most of your stuff behind. That's what these people were going through, and they were scattered. They, they were spread all over the place, which means maybe many of their past connections were no longer there, scattered away from their families, scattered away from their friends. And they had to make a new life in a strange place, oftentimes just by themselves. Now, we're very blessed. We don't live in Nigeria or other places around the world where Christians are persecuted specifically for their faith. But I do know that, because I, I, I read and listen to and pray the prayers every week that come from you. I, I know that some of you are feeling like strangers right here. In our church sometimes, in this community, sometimes even 
in your own family, you, you feel like an exile, an alien, a stranger. Maybe you're in circumstances that make you feel alienated and scattered. And so I would just ask you, as you go through this letter, I want you to write those two words somewhere down in a blank space. And I want you to ask yourself, where do I feel alienated? And then secondly, what's causing me to feel scattered? Do you know how it is? I'm feeling that a little bit right now with this cold. To feel scatterbrained? You're just scattered. You've got so much going on, so much pressure on you, so much pain in your life. It could be health. It could be difficulties in your marriage. It could be raising your kids. Or it could be taking care of your parents who are aging. And, and it's heart-wrenching to watch them go through that. It could be your finances. There are so many things in life that cause us to be able to relate to this group of people that are alienated and scattered because we too feel alienated and scattered at times. But the beauty of this is Peter is writing them for one purpose, and that is in their being alienated and scattered, he's saying to them, you have hope, eternal hope that will never go away because God's love never goes away. Jesus died for you on the cross and he rose again in victory to tell you not only that he lives, but because he lives, hope lives. And that's gonna be the message of this book. We are born into a living hope. And how often, when we're feeling alienated and scattered, do we begin to think to ourselves, I'm so done. I don't see hope. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And we just feel like giving up. Well, this book is meant for you if you've ever felt that way. Let's read on. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen. Don't ever forget this, Peter says. You may be alienated and scattered, but you are God's pick. You are God's chosen person to be a dearly loved child, according to the foreknowledge of the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Man, I, if I went through every word in here, we would keep going through second service and the second service people would wonder, why is he still preaching from first service? And you know I can do that. It's pretty easy for me. <laughs> so, I'm just telling you, I am gonna gloss over some of these, but we'll come back to them in future messages. But what this is basically saying is you've been chosen, God knew you even before time began, and what you were chosen for is to follow Christ, be obedient to him, and be sprinkled by his blood, meaning be forgiven of your sins and have your guilt and shame taken away. That's what he's saying. In ancient times, the address told you all these things. A lot of times in our mail, we sign at the end. Peter, like many ancient people, signs at the beginning and explains who he's sending it to, and then he gets into the business of the letter. And what's the first business item in this letter? 
Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Here's Peter giving us the secret to peace. Here's Peter, the man who struggles with fear and anxiety, who tries to cover it up with boldness. And he's saying, let me tell you, I I can tell you right at the beginning, what's the secret to peace? It is knowing that God loves you no matter what. It's not your performance. It's not your properness. It's not anything that you do. It's God and his faithfulness and who he is because God is love. He loves you and he will always love you faithfully. Grace and from grace be peace. Then he goes on, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a, we underline these words? I've already referenced them, a living hope. In the midst of all your trials and struggles, hope is alive, is what Peter is saying. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter's already been through this. When the disciples watched Jesus die on the cross, they thought hope was dead. They had invested three years of their lives following Jesus. Can you... Can you imagine Peter, James, and John? Now, we know Peter was married. I want, I want you to imagine for a moment Peter's conversation with his, with his wife. By the way, this guy named Jesus came, and he said I should close down the business and just follow him. Oh, okay, what's he going to pay you to do that? Nothing. What am I supposed to do while you're off gallivanting around following this guy named Jesus? How am I supposed to live? Can you imagine that conversation? But Peter did it, along with James and John, and somehow it worked because of who Jesus is, the Son of God. He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and then write, and then underline this and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What had to happen to Peter so that this could occur? Peter had to have a total overhaul. A complete overhaul. Because let me tell you what sin does. Sin makes us focus on ourselves. Sin makes us filled with pride and independence rather than a willingness to say, Jesus, God, Lord, I'm just gonna depend on you, not on my own strength. And and Peter was a very independent, proud man. Nothing less than a complete overhaul would be needed for him to be able to live new. By the way, you're no different. I'm no different. If we are to have change happen in our lives, it's nothing less than a total overhaul, so much of a total overhaul that Peter and Jesus both call it what? A new birth. Regeneration, to use a fancy theological term. 
meaning that everything has to be turned over. The old life has to be the old life. And now, by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, mind, and life, by the work of Jesus living inside of you, you get a new life. Look at what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Jesus answered Nicodemus and he said, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Meaning while it is your act to believe, it is God's work that you believe. You are the one believing. God's not believing on your behalf. But God is working that faith into your heart. Without him, you cannot believe. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you have no hands of faith to grasp hold of Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. In fact, our natural inclination, the Bible tells us, when we're presented with the opportunity for a new birth and for Jesus to forgive us is to use our hands to push it away to refuse it. God's coming here. I have this beautiful gift for you. It will change your entire life. No, Jesus, I want to do it myself. No, Jesus, I want you, I want you to evaluate me on, on the basis of my own performance. No, Jesus, I don't need you. I'm perfectly capable myself. Don't give me this gift. Only the Holy Spirit can take our hands and turn them into beggar's hands that, that are held out like this with a heart behind them that says, Jesus, I need you more than anything else. That's the work of God, the Holy Spirit, not your work or mine. My hands, but the Spirit's work. Here's what I want you to write down. God's grace and the peace that comes with it is life-changing. Peter experienced that, you're going to experience that when you live in God's undeserved and relentless love. It's life-changing. And in Jesus, and in the spirit that he sends us, we can live new. I want, you to, I want you to know that. I want you to hear that loud and clear today. No matter what trials you're going through, no matter what struggles, you can live new. Now, Peter has referenced an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Peter's doing something amazing here, and I'm going to explain it to you. Peter's pointing forward to heaven. Peter's pointing forward to the life that is God's gift to you that is beyond this life. And he's telling you, you can have a new life powered by the Holy Spirit now, but you already have an eternal new life waiting in heaven for you, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And then he goes on. If you're following along in the crosswalk notes, right under that first point we just filled in, this eternal inheritance, this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. This is getting into what they're going through now. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith 
of greater worth than gold. There's nothing more valuable than faith, the faith that the Holy Spirit has worked into your hearts. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, gold perishes, But what God wants is that your faith results in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That as the Holy Spirit works faith in you and then maintains that faith in you through the power of the word and the sacraments, that God is glorified by all your experiences and especially your painful experiences. Do you know how important it is for people to be able to see your faith and your hope, especially in the midst of your painful circumstances? It's vital. It's vital because it tells people that this faith thing gives this Christian something that that. I don't have when I'm completely alienated and unsettled and scattered when I'm going through painful times. But this this person who trusts in Christ, somehow they're maintaining peace in the middle of all their pain. Huge for people to see that. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I preached at a wedding the last uh, couple of days. The wedding was on Friday night. And for that wedding, I used a passage from Colossians chapter one. And it has a very interesting turn of phrase because It's exactly what Peter is saying here, but it's counterintuitive to what we normally think. And it uses the three words we're probably familiar with. If you've read 1 Corinthians 13, it uses those words, faith, hope, and love. And I will tell you that many people in the the world think that our hope is a result of our faith. Do I believe plus our love, am I kind and good, then if I believe sincerely and I love others and I love God, that's gonna equal me having the hope of heaven. That's the equation that a lot of people use. Read Colossians chapter one, the very first verses very carefully because it's gonna give you a completely different equation. Not if you believe and if you're loving, then you'll have hope. It is this, You have hope, starts with hope, because of Christ's gift to you. Your hope of heaven is because Jesus won it for you and gave it to you. Now that equals you being able to have faith even in the midst of trials and difficulties and to love one another. Faith and love are not what lead to your hope. Faith and love are what emerge from your hope. And what Peter is saying here is the very same thing. There's nothing more important if you want to have peace in the midst of your trials than to feed your hope in Christ and to believe that that inheritance is real. He keeps coming back to it. 
At the, at the very end of this section, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There, he, he says that's worth more than gold to trust that, especially when you're going through difficult times. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was, and I've referenced him before because I, I just amazing. This guy was in the Auschwitz concentration camp, World War II, surrounded by the cruelest, most punishing treatment that a human could possibly endure. And not just for himself, but for all the people around him. And, and Viktor Frankl, being a psychologist, kind of in his mind was observing, like psychologists do, what's going on here. And he noticed that as the, the pain of the suffering went on, di different reactions came, and only one reaction was one that led to long-term resilience, the ability to bounce back in the, in the middle of, of pain and suffering. The first thing he noticed was that some people who were being treated cruelly would begin to become mean and cruel themselves that they would adopt that very same posture, maybe out of bitterness or anger, but the anger that, and, and, the, and the pain that got poured into them, then they began to pour out to their fellow prisoners. The, the second thing he noticed, and this was something that they feared greatly, is that some just gave up after a while. And, and he, he wrote this, Usually this happened quite suddenly. The symptoms of which were familiar to us experienced camp inmates. We all feared for this moment in our friends. Usually it began one morning when the prisoner simply refused to get dressed or wash or go out to the parade grounds for inspection. No entreaties, no blows, no threats had any effect on these people. They just lay there. They had given up. Nothing bothered them anymore because they had lost all hope. Then he noticed the third reaction, a reaction that at first seemed a little bit better. And these were the people who maintained hope, but their hope was that after this all ended, they would go back and everything would be, uh, would be restored to them just the way it had been. Their families would be restored, their businesses would be restored, they, their, their health would be restored. And this seemed to help as long as the prisoners were in the camp, but, but Frankel followed up after the camp experience, after the prisoners had been released. And for most of them who were released, it didn't work out the way they had hoped. And so those people fell into depression and despair because things were not being restored to them in this life. Frankel noticed one last thing, though. Frankel said that the ones who truly overcome Auschwitz were those who had a fixed reference point beyond this life. I want you to hear that. Those who had a fixed reference point uh, something they could look forward to that was beyond the world. Something they held onto that was out of the grasp of death 
and destruction. Frankel said, life in a concentration camp tears open a soul and exposes its depths and its foundation. And only those who were able to look outside of this world and outside of this life to some future fixed reference point, only those not only did well in camp and in the life after camp. You see what Peter's doing here? He is reminding these people of Asia Minor and us, there's nothing more important for you to live new in the midst of trials than to have a fixed reference point outside of this world and outside of this life that we call eternal life in heaven. That no matter what happens to you here, no matter what happens to you now, God has an amazing eternal plan which he has won and gifted to you in his son Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus live a perfect life in your place? Why did he die a perfect sacrificial death on the cross? Why did God rise him, raise him from the tomb? All for one reason. To give you, as he, as Peter says, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Turn the page. In addition to all this, Paul writes, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let me tell you, Satan is out to take you off your eternal hope. He lo- he, this is the point he's gonna attack you on. And he's gonna use pain and suffering and trials to do it. And let me tell you what some of Satan's flaming arrows sound like. Maybe, maybe you've heard them from a friend, as Frankel heard some of these things from his friends. Maybe you've heard yourself say them. And I want you to begin to recognize that when you hear these things, these are the flaming arrows of the evil one. And by the way, flaming arrows were actually, that, that's not just a part of TV lore. There actually were flaming arrows. And flaming arrows were not meant for individuals. Flaming arrows were meant for buildings and ships to tear down all the structure and all the framework that is built around you. And that's what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants to, he wants to burn down the structure and the order, and the things that nurture and protect you. What do they sound like? This is more than I can take. If you have that feeling right now, in the midst of your trials, this is, this is more than I can take. I want you to remember God's promise to you that he won't test you beyond what you're able, not beyond what you feel you're able, by the way, beyond what he knows that you're able. This is more than I can take is a flaming arrow of the evil one. Here's another one. I can't wait any longer. This pain, it needs to end right now. This trial has got to be over today. I can't wait any longer. Here's a third one. This is meaningless. I'm sitting here suffering and, and there is no purpose in this. There is no meaning in this. I, I don't see how anyone can say <laughs> that, that this is gonna serve any good. 
It's just meaningless, this suffering, this pain, these trials, flaming arrow of the evil one. And here's a fourth and final one. I'll never come back from this. Do you know that God has answers for all of those in the Bible? I I shared the answer for the first one. I won't test you beyond what you're able. I can't wait any longer. We'll read the answer to that in just a moment. Number three, this is meaningless. No, God has purpose in all the things that he does. Now, can we understand someone who wants their pain and suffering to end? I certainly can. Let me show you how much I can understand someone who wants their pain and suffering to end. When I have a cold, as I do today, it takes a whole bag full of stuff to make me feel better that maybe one day this pain and suffering will go away. So, I have my handy bottle of ibuprofen to deal with the, the cold headaches. If I can't make the cold go away, maybe I can make the headache go away right away. I have this stuff, unkers. You can kind of smear it around your nose and it has that menthol smell. May not make anything go away, but it sure smells good. <laughs> oh, this is one of my favorites. Julie got this for me, saline nasal spray. There is nothing better when you have a cold than washing out your nose and throat with saline spray. They say it'll help with your cold. And if I'm preaching, of course I've got to have cough drops. I don't want to be hacking in front of all of you. And then, and then there's the nasal decongestant. Got to have that. Oh, and for nighttime, nighttime cold and flu relief. And then there's this sweet thing. It's an immune booster. It's supposed to, if you take it, you know, work inside to boost your immunity. And then, of course. (laughs) And why do I have all this stuff? Because I want the pain to go away. And I don't want it to go away tomorrow. I want it to go away right now. I I want the suffering to end. And, And, like, you guys are going through stuff a lot worse than a cold. Look what we do just for a cold. And what are the things in our lives? I think I've got eight things here for a cold. What are the things that we do in our life to make the pain go away? And what if instead of the pain going away immediately, God is saying, I'm using the pain to mold you and form you and turn you into someone who has hope and faith even in the midst of pain. Write this down. Life delivers all kinds of trials. Faith is our shield. It allows us to fight back for God's glory and our joy. Replace all the stuff that you're using to get rid of the pain, or at least add to it in a major way, faith. Faith that God has got a plan for your life and a purpose for you and also a plan and a purpose for your pain. Let's finish up. 
Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. Will you underline that phrase? They were not serving themselves but you. That's the key in these verses. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Peter goes back and he says, you know, we have a history of these things, of being put through trials because of our faith. In the Old Testament, our people were persecuted for their faith and the prophets, no, no more, no one worse, suffered worse trials than the prophets. And they were God's messengers, the ones whom God asked to send a message. And then he says something really key and really important because it comes to this point of purpose. The prophets, he says, kept on searching through the things that, <laughs> that God was telling them to write. So they're writing them and then they're go, going back and reading them and, and, and trying to think to themselves, how do we interpret this? What does this mean? What is God promising us? And they came to this very important conclusion, and it was this. Even if we don't fully understand everything that God is saying here, it's still purposeful and valuable because we're not writing for ourselves. Fulfillment of all these things is gonna to come to a group of people down the line. People will never know. People we've, we're never gonna meet, but God is gonna use our work, our pain, our trials to bless them, even though we're never gonna know them. I think that's so important for us to understand that if the prophets were writing what the prophets were writing by God's command, not just so that they could be blessed with hope and promises, but even more so that they could bless others with God's promises, God's love, God's hope. It leads us right back to why am I in trial? Why am I suffering? And maybe the purpose and the meaning and the answer to that is even though it will bless me, inform me, maybe it's also for others to be able to see God's hope in the midst of their trials. Maybe it's gonna be for people that we don't even know, but we are called to love and serve. We met this wonderful young man in Maputo, Mozambique. His name is Vashko, Vashko Manikana. And Vashko told us when we were talking to him that his father had passed away recently. And then he told us what he was doing, that he was working a job that would sometimes require him, because it's a restaurant job, to be working hard all night long. Often he wouldn't get back because he, he lived far out of the city and he had to take a long transport to get home. He wouldn't get home till maybe two or three in the morning, but he was also attending university, so he had to be to his first class at seven in the morning. And he was doing this day after day after day. And we, we just asked him the simple question. How are you doing that? 
And his answer to this was, how can I not do this? My father has passed away and my mother and my sister need me. I'm doing this not to bless me, I'm doing it to bless them. They need me to come through. That's an exact illustration of what Peter is saying the prophets were doing. The people of the future need us prophets to come through. Trusting in God's love and God's promises and the hope God wants us to have. People that we don't know need us to come through. Why do we go to places like Mozambique or try to open a second site in Midtown? Because there are people there that we don't know who need this hope that we already have. And we are called to this not just for ourselves, not just so that God can can mold us and shape us to become stronger and better and deeper. We call it fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. That's That's what God is doing with these sufferings, these trials. He's turning us into fully developed followers of Jesus Christ, leaning more heavily into his promises. But he's also, and you have to hear this loud and clear, he is blessing others. We are not just doing this for ourselves, but we are doing it for people that we don't even know. We want a crosswalk church in this generation, but I'm telling you, I'm promising you, we don't want a crosswalk church just for this generation, but for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation after that so that God can bless others. Let's close with Romans 5, 1 to 5, because I love this when it comes to suffering. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And how do we feel about this? How do we feel about this hope and this grace? We boast in it. We're excited about it. We tell others. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. It makes us fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's do the last fill-in. How do we bounce back? How, do, how are we resilient? Resilient faith perseveres in hope. Our Savior himself suffered the most painful trials, but glory followed. And I want you to believe that too. You may be suffering the most painful trials, but glory is gonna follow. 1 Peter 1.6, you can take this verse home with you. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And I am going to say to you, if you want to keep hope alive, go home or even before you leave and join a growth group so that you can feed your hope, especially when you're in the midst of trials. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the hope that you give us, the everlasting life in heaven, that fixed point of reference that's outside of this world and outside of our lives and outside of time. Help us to fix our eyes on that end goal already given to us in the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, purely as a gift, but one Lord that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we wanna grasp hold of and not let go. 
I pray for everyone in this room right now who is going through trials, who is in the midst of pain, who wants it just to end, that you would strengthen them and point their eyes of faith to the everlasting hope that you have for them stored up in heaven. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. There's one more flaming arrow of the evil one, and you may have heard it. I know I've heard of it. And that is that that eternal inheritance in heaven is nothing more than pie in the sky, completely useless for us in this life. A promise that may be right or may be wrong. As humans, they will say, we don't know and we don't care. And I'm here to tell you, know that promise, that eternal inheritance in heaven. Learn the lesson that it took a concentration camp to learn, and that is that fixed point of reference outside of this life is vital, and it is the most useful thing that God could ever give you, the hope of eternal life in heaven won for you by Jesus Christ. That's not pie in the sky. That's sweet right here, right now, in the midst of your trials, and keep your eye on that prize. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Have a great week in the Lord. You will not see me on the patio. I wouldn't do this to you. We'll see you back here next week.